in this horrible commute and it took me four hours to get home one day I was pregnant. And so that was the moment where I kind of had enough. So I always say that sometimes you have to like run yourself into this point where you are fed up with maybe your life or your lifestyle or something kind of like triggers you. Because I, I do feel like a lot of us have this nagging feeling that, you know, we're unhappy or we're not living our fullest life. But it maybe it maybe takes that one moment when you realize like, wait a second, this is not how I want to live my life for the rest, you know, of the time. And so... Welcome to The Fi Show, where you get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of The Fi Show. Today, Justin and I have a very special guest on, Jamila Safrant from Journey to Launch. Yeah, Cody, Jamila's got a really interesting story. I mean, with her family originally living in Jamaica and then her coming over when she's like two, that definitely gives a different spin on it. I mean, she could see some differences in the way... You know, her family treated money and she got a lot of really good inspiration from her mom and her grandmother. Yeah. And I think that kind of translates over into how she's teaching her kids about financial independence and how she's teaching them about money in general. And as you'll hear in her story, it was actually her kids that inspired her to think a little bit differently about her life, her time and her money. Yeah, it's pretty amazing what one little breakdown in the car can do for you. But let's not spoil the whole story. Turn it over to Jamila. So life for me growing up, I mean, I was definitely a happy kid. And it's interesting because I immigrated to the United States when I was 18 months. And, you know, my mom had to leave me back home in Jamaica. So I'm from the island of Jamaica. And my mom came up here first to establish herself. She was a single mom. And so when I came up here, you know, I was a baby. And I spent most of my you know life in Brooklyn, New York, where I have the best memories in terms of just growing up and like learning from the surroundings and then from my mom's effort of teaching me via libraries and school for ed so education was a huge huge part of growing up for me because she knew that that was important for me to have if she wanted me to be more and have more options in life but she also allowed me to be kind of free and dream big and she always encouraged me to like to go after anything I wanted in life and so I think from my childhood when I look back on it I have very fond memories you know, Jamila, you're talking about your childhood and your family, and I think everyone, good or bad, obviously is heavily influenced by their family. But I'd like to ask you about the Jamaican culture, and I understand you didn't live there very long, but I'd love to hear some insight on that Jamaican culture and how it's maybe different than the American one, especially when it comes to finances. That's an interesting question because you're right. Like I didn't necessarily remember like my first 18 months in Jamaica vividly, but I did go back to Jamaica often when I was younger. I would spend the summers there as my mom worked and, you know, it was easier for her to send me to Jamaica to spend time with my family in Jamaica versus paying for summer school here. And I'd say just like, you know, I have a lot of actually siblings that grew up in Jamaica. So I was like one of the only siblings that grew up here because my father had more children. So my father's children more grew up in Jamaica. And because I was with my mom, I was here. And so just like knowing my family members that stayed back home, one thing I'd say is that I feel like we are all, and this might just be a generalization for just not immigrant, not only immigrants, but Caribbean people is that like we're hard workers. And I think that's more because when you come to this country, you really are coming after the American dream. You want more. You're leaving maybe a situation where you feel like you didn't have the best opportunities and now you're coming to the States to have better opportunities. So it's one thing I've always noticed 
throughout watching my mom and my grandma. And I always say this when I talk about my story is that through watching them, I really learned what having a good work ethic like was, and which I think really is the baseline for why I am very into working hard, but smartly. And while they didn't have really the options of what they did when they first came here, because they didn't have much of the educational background, my mom did eventually go to school and get her bachelor's and her master's here, which put her in a better position. But for me, I felt like growing up with that idea of like working hard and really establishing yourself and wanting to pass the torch on, like take the torch that my mom and my grandmother like built or gave to me and pass it down to my children one day. That was like the very like important part of my story. So one of the stock differences I noticed, so I know a lot of people who are really hard workers as well, but that doesn't always exactly translate into being good with money. Like you could work 120 hour weeks, just work your butt off, grind, 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 and then not save a penny. So was your mom and grandma like just hustlers or did they kind of couple that with being financially responsible as well? So the one thing they both were, they were savers and we didn't have much money growing up, meaning I didn't have, you know, a lot of the luxury items that maybe some of my friends had or even what today, like my kids have, but I always had enough. And so that's one thing I do remember is that my mom did as much as she could for me. And the one thing, so we had a recent conversation about this because she's going to be on my podcast and I was just asking her about my upbringing. And the one thing she said was that she like saved, like, so she taught me to save Meaning like, you know, every dollar that comes in, like when I had a job, I was 14 years old. That was my first job. And it was kind of ingrained in me at that point to save most of my money. And so we didn't understand or she didn't teach me. She didn't know herself about like investing and putting money into the stock market, 401ks and even budgeting. I didn't really know any of that growing up. I just knew saving was important, which I feel like is probably the best thing she could have taught me. So I think I need to start reframing the way I talk about like my growing up and my childhood, because I usually say she never really intentionally taught me anything much about personal finance. But as I look back on it now, I feel like she really, she, for the most part, did probably the best she could, which I know, but with the savings part of things, which is really what kind of drives me today and why I'm able to be in the position I am today is my savings habits. And that's something that she did instill in me. So it's obvious that your mom was a huge influence. And you, you mentioned that eventually she got her finances in pretty good shape. But I get the feeling that your level of wealth as a child and privilege was you know, a decent bit less than what your children could be experiencing. And since that worth ethic and grit that your mom passed down to you was, was so pivotal in your own journey, do you struggle or worry about how you balance giving your children everything they need while still trying to pass down some of the grit of your own? That actually is something that I think about because that grit that I believe I have because of the way I grew up with not having everything handed to me and having to work for everything and having this strong work ethic and working from 14 years old, I often wonder now that my kids are coming up in a more privileged life. So I've been able to do some things and I want to be able to pass along some wealth to them that I, I want them to still have that grit. And so I think it's really important, especially more than ever, that parents who are now in better positions than they were growing up in terms of giving their children more are still understanding and aware of the ways in which they can teach personal finance. And so for us, the same way my mom valued experiences over things with me is the same thing I do with my kids. Even now, my kids are pretty young. They're four years old, two years old, and five months old. And we don't really buy them a lot of material things. Like we buy them sneakers and clothes when they need it. 
We have no problem getting hand-me-downs from friends. And so for us, we spend money on, you know, swim lessons and things, taking them places because that's what matters. And so I think not only that, so showing them through actions what we value and then just not buying every and anything for them when they just want it and teaching them the power of a dollar. So I can't wait to start giving my son some money, which probably happens soon. He's about that age where he definitely understands earning things and toys because when he sees things on the TV, he's like, mommy, can you buy that? And I'm like, well, I'm not buying that. But if you want to save some of your money to do that, you can. And he's just like, what money? So we're at the point now where I can start to teach him, you know, here's a dollar, here's five dollars. You should put this away and, you know, maybe give this to, you know, charity or somewhere else and start teaching him those basics. But those are all the things that I consider doing and that I think about now about how to raise my children to be to not squander what I'm working towards today. Right. Because one day they're going to inherit all this. And so in terms of like the nitty gritty when they start getting older, because they don't seem like they're quite at the age where they could work, quote unquote, and get like real money, even if it was from you and your husband. So what are some of the things that you're hoping or planning to implement as they get older? Well, definitely some sort of not sure if it would be allowance system because now I'm thinking, you know, I don't really want to pay my kids to participate in the household work <laughs> or, you know, cycle. <laughs> so I'm still thinking about how to do that. But if they did get money from us, uh, we would probably have them like learn how to then here's what you do. Like here's a percentage, you know, you save some, you can spend some, maybe if they want an expensive toy or something going on, you know, it's not that we're never going to buy them something. It's more of, okay, if they consistently want a lot of things, it's like, okay, we may buy half of that. And then you have to save for the other half, but start to really teach them the ways in which money works and definitely want to show them about investing. And we have an investment account for them. And so showing them kind of how it grows over time and teaching them compound interest will be very, I think, exciting for them once they understand what that means. And kind of flipping it the other way, what do you think your children are teaching you about financial independence and how is that, how do you think having children changes your mindset on financial independence and kind of this life in retirement? Yeah. So I'd say my children, so becoming pregnant with my first child was the aha moment or the moment that really made me realize that I wanted to escape the rat race and find another way. And so because I was pregnant, like that gave me that push. And so since then, I'd say it actually has followed that pattern. So my second child, you know, I was still in the workforce. My third child, when I got pregnant recently last year, I said to myself where I don't, even though I make good money at my job, I don't want to, I don't want to do this forever. So I'm on the path to financial independence. At that point, I had a target of reaching my FI goal in, you know, five years by the time I was 40 years old. And then being pregnant with my third child, Knowing the amount of time and energy it took to be away from them and my commute and not doing what I loved, that basically also lit the fire under me to say, yes, it's about money. It's about this FI goal, but it's bigger than that. It's about creating freedom today, which was one of the reasons why I worked so hard during my pregnancy to set myself up where I could leave my job, which can be a detour on my financial independence journey. Like it could take me longer now that I'm walking away from that guaranteed income. And now I'm trying to work up myself as an entrepreneur to make money. But I feel like it also could be something that propels me forward and faster to FI. But all in all, having children has made me realize 
the importance of like wealth and not just through money terms. It's like the type of money that will allow you to be with your family when you want, the type of money that allows you or the type of lifestyle that allows you to to do the things you want in life and spend it with the people you love. Like that's a form of wealth that I didn't really understand before I had kids. And so they that's how they basically helped me understand more and more what I wanted out of my life. I think that's an awesome point that like how you mentioned that not all money is the same and that you just kind of got insight to that different type of income. Just to piggyback off of that, was it the birth of your first child that kind of flipped you into this financial independence, time is more valuable than money mindset? Or was it some external factor? Well, the being pregnant with my first child, I always tell the story that I was in this horrible commute and it took me four hours to get home one day I was pregnant. And so that was the moment where I kind of had enough. So I always say that sometimes you have to like run yourself into this point where you are fed up with maybe your life or your lifestyle or something kind of like triggers you because I, I do feel like a lot of us have this nagging feeling that, you know, we're unhappy or we're not living our fullest life, but it maybe, it maybe takes that one moment when you realize like, wait a second, this is not how I want to live my life for the rest, you know, the time. And so being pregnant with my first son in that crazy commute just opened up the door for me to want to find out more want to find out how it was that I could one day walk away from this job because I knew that I wanted to have more freedom and I did not want to spend a lot of time in my car and time away from my family. Cause at the time being pregnant for, with my first kid, I was getting home at maybe 7 PM because my commute was an hour. And well, at that time it wasn't as long. It was like an hour and 15 to hour and 30 minutes, but sometimes it could take two hours. So I'd get home at seven and I said to myself, well, when I have kids, I don't want to get home at seven every night, you know, and leave at 6 a.m. every morning. That's not the type of life I want. And that moment, I'd say, then made me start to kind of just, you know, do some research and try to understand, okay, what could I do to escape this rat race? And so then what did you do? Like, what were those first steps? I remember just Googling escape the racket race, personal finance, because I knew it had to do with money. So initially when I was in my 20s, I always had a goal of not working for anyone. I've always had this big dream of doing that. And I always hated having a boss. So even in my 20s, my early 20s, when I first, first graduated from college, I felt that way. And like a lot of people, I fell into kind of this, okay, well, I'm trying a couple of businesses. They're not working out. And so I had an online magazine that I started with my best friend. I got my real estate license because I figured, okay, I'd have to do something in order to become a millionaire. I had to like create a business or do something big. And then by my late 20s, nothing really panned out. I got engaged by that point. And so I said to myself, well, I guess this is like life. And so it really was like in my 30s that I realized, wait a second, no, like that feeling that I had in my 20s was valid. It's still there. It didn't go away. So that commute, that long commute in that my car that day really like ignited that fire. And so when I started to look at other alternatives to working, I started to come across all these you know, blogs and podcasts. And I eventually found my way to radical personal finance and mad scientist. And that's kind of what helped start my my journey. So Jamila, I know um, you kind of mentioned that through your 20s that some things weren't panning out, but I think you might be selling yourself a little short on one fact that I've heard your story and you found this really cool real estate option in Dumbo in New York. I don't know if you'd want to talk about that a little bit. And because I think a lot of people who who listen to things like this, they get all these ideas, but they have trouble kind of pulling the trigger. And so I'd like to hear that mindset of how you got off the couch and actually invested in a big project at the age of like 22. Yeah. So what I, so the, I say that 
I wasn't always intentional with my money in my 20s. But the one thing I did do that was like the best financial decision I've ever made was buying my condo at 22 right out of college. And the way that happened was I was in school and I grew up downtown Brooklyn for most of my like elementary high school years. And my grandmother had managed to buy herself a three-family house in an area at the time when she bought it that wasn't all that great. I mean, it was cool. It was close to the city, but it wasn't what it is now. And I remember being in college when this, the real estate boom was happening and prices were soaring. And my my grandmother, without knowing it, was sitting on a gold mine. Like her her property price had appreciated so much. And I at least had the wherewithal at that age at like 21, 20 to realize that. And I knew that I also wanted to own property. And it didn't hurt that I also met a couple older people in the neighborhood that also bought properties early on when they were younger before the the gentrification and the property price increases. And they by then had like paid off three family, four family homes or had like four four homes on one block. So that encouraged me to say, wow, I want to be like that one day. And if my grandmother can do this, who came here with really nothing and watched kids as a living can buy something, I can buy something. And so that kind of gave me that like energy to want to buy a house. And when I started looking in college, I couldn't afford anything that I wanted. I wanted to buy like a three or four family brownstone in Bed-Stuy or Fort Greene or downtown Brooklyn, which was very expensive because again, that was the type time of the real estate bubble. And so I couldn't afford anything. And I saw this this I think it was on internet or some advertisement for a new a new development in Dumbo, Brooklyn, which stands for down under the Manhattan Bridge overpass. And they had studio apartments to like the penthouse. And they said it started in the 300,000 range. Now for me, that seemed like, wow, that seemed more affordable because when I was looking at three or four family homes, they were starting at $700,000, $800,000. And I remember going with my mom to the sales office of this building that wasn't built yet, but it was across the street and seeing the plans for the area. And at the time, again, Dumbo wasn't is what it is now. Now it's like the most expensive place to own real estate in Brooklyn or even the city maybe. And at the time, it was just like a lot of like empty space. And they had all these plans and they were showing what was going to be done with the waterfront. And I said, you know what? I want to buy something here because I can just get a piece of something, even if it's a studio apartment. And I remember saying to myself, like it was a stretch to even afford the studio because you needed 10% down to secure the unit. And then it would take about two years to build. And then you need 10% to close on that unit and then the closing cost. So I had saved up through my years of working through an internship through school, some of that money. My mother also gifted me some money towards the initial 10% down payment. And with that, I was able to hold the apartment. And then for two years, I started to work full time and saved up like 90% of my income living at home with my mom. So that's another amazing thing she did for me. It was allow me to stay there while I saved my money. And by the time this condo was ready to close, it had appreciated in value from when I went into contract with it. And then I also was able to have saved up the money to finish putting down the rest and the closing costs. And that's how I basically bought my first condo. And did you turn around and start renting that out right away? Or what did you do with the property? No. So when it was finished, I moved in. So I lived there for about, I think I want to say two or three years. So before I got engaged to my husband, 
who was my then boyfriend, I I was living there, living the life because it was such, it was a new building. It was the place to be. And I was like so excited. So I did enjoy my bit of my twenties there. And then once my husband and I got engaged, we moved out, I rented it out and we moved into his parents' basement for a while. Okay. And, and so I think you said that was around 2008 when you purchased the property. So I'm now I'm trying to like think back. So I, I think I moved in like around 2000 and I want to say five or six after now go back and check my dates, but it's probably like around 2006, maybe. Okay. So it's 300, 2005 or six. Okay. So it's 300,000 in 2006. Do you mind sharing what you think the place is worth now? Well, it was 338,000 when I bought it in 2000 and I have to get, I have to go back and look at the date. It's definitely more, it's definitely doubled since then. That's huge. Um, yeah. So Jamila, something I want to talk about. So clearly you've had like this entrepreneurial go-getter mindset from the very beginning. I mean, you saved up your internship money to buy a rental property straight out of college and you had some other ventures along the way. I know you had your magazine business, but when did Journey to Launch come around? We'll be right back after a quick word from one of our sponsors. Today's sponsor is one I use on a daily basis in my company, Gold City Ventures. That is the sound of a sale in your Shopify store. But did you know that Shopify now also powers in-person selling? Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store or small business. Accept payments, manage inventory, they have everything. Shopify brings together your in-person and online sales business into one source of truth, one dashboard, everything in one place. You know exactly what's going on. And now they have all these customization options. They have plug and play tools that you can integrate with Instagram or TikTok or wherever. You can take your payments by phone or by tablet. Shopify makes it easy. Plus, if you have any questions, their support team is there to help you. I know we have a lot of entrepreneurs in this audience, and Shopify POS just breaks down that barrier to accepting payments with your business. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash fyshow, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash fyshow to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash fyshow. Now back to the show. Journey to Launch was something that definitely has been more recent, I'd say, in terms of thinking about like this business. So when I was 31, had that epiphany about wanting to find out a way to do more with my life and escape the nine to five, I started to listen to a lot of podcasts and read some blogs. And because I had such a long commute, I had a lot of time on my hands to listen to a lot of podcasts. (laughs) And one of the things that it really encouraged me to do was to kind of chronicle my own journey to financial independence. So I was seeing all these people talking about how they were reaching it and what they were doing. And I said to myself, hmm, what if I start like a blog or something that also shares my journey? And it's interesting because when I initially, initially started Journey to Launch, I thought it would be more a like a lifestyle platform where I'm sharing like everything about me, not just finances, but just my journey to launch into just everything. And then I, because I do have a knack with finances and I was really getting into the financial independent space, I kind of narrowed it down to, let me just start sharing what I'm doing in my personal finance and how I'm achieving some of my goals. Once I started doing that, it was really just to be a accountability thing, something to show okay, here's what I'm doing. And maybe the five readers or people who are following me can keep me accountable. And then people really started to want to understand how I was doing it, which then like encouraged me to start thinking about, okay, how can I turn this into something where I can either use this as a stepping stone to something else? Because one of the things that they talk about in the financial independence space is if you're going to 
retire early, quote unquote, from the corporate world. You should be retiring into something. So I thought, hmm, why don't I just build up Journey to Launch? And if I love it enough, it could be something that I do once I retire. And then because, again, it started to pick up a lot of steam, people really were interested in my story and the way I wrote. And then eventually I did the podcast and people were really interested in the podcast. I said to myself, maybe this can be something even bigger than what I initially thought, which kind of leads me here today doing it full time. Yeah. I mean, that's just such an amazing story. So for those aspiring entrepreneurs out there, those people who are sick of the corporate life, they just want to go out and do it. I know you've had quite a few ventures. So what would be like the number one thing or the first step that they should take right now? For anyone who wants to start something? Yeah, just people who are kind of having qualms about starting. They're nervous or they don't think they have the experience. I'd love if you could just touch on like what your advice to them would be. To just start. And so I've had a lot of stops and starts or things that didn't work out the way I wanted them to. So one of that was the magazine and my real estate license. And I I also actually ventured into vending machines that didn't ultimately work out either. (laughs) But I would say without all those experiences, I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing today. So while at the time it was like, oh my gosh, here's something else that wasn't working out. I think those quote unquote failures, which were not really failures, but lessons have allowed me to continue to build up that grit. I do think you have to like develop this muscle in which you become resilient. And so, yes, you can sometimes be born with that like kind of trait to to keep trying, being resourceful and resilient, but you can also train yourself to be that way through through taking lessons from what looks like failures or things that don't work out. And so sometimes what happens, and even it happens to me today to this day where you don't know the full outcome or you don't you don't know what to expect so therefore maybe you don't start because you want to start perfectly or you want to know the exact thing to do and a lot of the times you won't know the exact thing to do or it might not be the ultimate best move but you won't know that until you make the move and so you just have to start and the quicker you go forward and you see what works and what doesn't work the faster you can adjust and pivot and get to your goal. So it's all about the journey. And I know it sounds corny. This is kind of why I named it Journey to Launch. My my platform is because it's really about what you learn on this part of your path. And so part of that means starting even if you're not you know, sure that you know everything. I really wanted you to say, what is it? Hustle, your hustle muscle? Oh, the side hustle muscle. <laughs> side hustle muscle. That too. Yeah. <laughs> you have to build your side hustle muscle. The the one thing, just because it's been a, a recent kind of hot button issue with the whole people like Susie Orman coming out and saying this whole retiring early thing is dangerous. And, you know, a lot of people, they don't want to look into retiring early because they think of all the things that could happen to them, whether it be, you know, stagnant markets, hyperinflation, you know, those sort of things. Are you doing anything to kind of ensure yourself uh, to make sure that this you know, retiring early plan really works out? Are you doing anything to to bolster that plan? Or or what are you doing that just makes you feel confident that retiring early, at least from the corporate world, is, is going to work out in a retirement that could last, you know, 60 years? Yeah. So I think for me and for anyone listening who's like on this journey is to define what retiring early means for them. Because you know, my definition does not include me not working ever again or not bringing any money. That's definitely not, you know, I still want to be able to bring in money and hopefully I'd be able to bring in a lot more money than I was even doing my corporate job. And so because of that, I do have the goal of earning money. And while it might not be happening now, it's something where because I've quit my job, so I quit my corporate job to pursue this full time. 
And the way I set that up to be able to do that is I saved enough money in my FU fund or my husband and I, we saved enough money in our FU fund for us to bridge the gap with our expenses and his income. So another important factor in my story that we should not gloss over is that I am married and my husband still works. Now, if I was single or my husband wasn't working and he wanted to be FI too, this might look a little differently, but he still actually intends to work. And that is very helpful because we do have healthcare. Um, So I'm very lucky to where my kids and I are recovered under his insurance. Again, our plan would look totally different if we didn't have that option. So also with that is that a big part of FI for me is cash flow. And so it's reducing cash flow to where we could live on the bare minimum. So right now we still have our primary mortgage and the investment property that I own in Dumbo. And for the most part, we have a renter that takes care of the investment property. But when it comes to our primary mortgage, one of the things I would love to do, and that's one of the goals, is to pay it off sooner rather than later, because that would take out a huge chunk of a required expense in our budget, which then would mean that we'd be able to more safely live on my husband's income. And so when I look at things like that, where we are for the most part covered healthcare-wise, and we're, we're making plans in which our cash flow our expenses can get lowered eventually, maybe in seven or 10 years. So we're, we, we can sustain our lifestyle on a smaller cash flow. All of those things are things that I consider on this journey and how I'm computing stuff. So I think I heard Susie Orman's podcast episode where, you know, she had actually some valid points about just thinking about the worst case scenarios and making sure you're thinking ahead like that. But I also believe that my, my situation is a little unique and it's one of the things I encourage people to think about is what kind of what can you use to your advantage in this journey. And if you have a spouse that's still going to work and they have insurance, that's excellent. You know, still consider that. Also, worst case scenario. So one of the things I said was that if this does not work, I have two years. I have a two year runway to figure this out. And if I can't, then I would actually go back and get a job. There's no shame in that. And so because I'm not saying I'm never going to work again and, you know, I'm just like screw everyone or screw corporate America, I'm not really saying that. I'm saying I'm giving this a good solid try and we see what happens. But I will if I have to go back to work, if there is a worst case scenario and we do need more money and Journey to Launch isn't making money. Yeah, I love that whole attitude because I'm kind of in that boat right now where like I know I could make it work if I just like went full blown entrepreneur. But then again, I just think about all the nice things in my corporate job, like the paychecks and the health insurance and all that stuff. So it's definitely nice kind of having that husband there so you can take this entrepreneurial leap. And like you said, if things don't pan out, you can just go back to work in two years. That's kind of the beauty of pursuing FI is giving yourself these options. So I think that's just awesome. Right. And I think too, it's like, it's important to define it. Everyone's situation is going to look different. And so for us, like the longest time from the time I started working full-time at 22, I'm 35 years old now. My husband and I, we've been together for, since we were 19. And so he's seen me like the hours and the long commute and me being pregnant with three kids and all that took to, and the things I've been able to accomplish and to pour into the family financially and emotionally and everything. And so I feel like my contributions like hit right now, it's like amazing that we can now lean more on his income to help like keep things afloat while we're going through this big transition. But again, it's going to look different for everyone. And so I think one thing I don't like when is when I see people like judging other people's fire journey, where it's just like, oh, you if your husband still works or if your wife still works or 
if maybe you work part time or you have a blog making money, then it's not considered fire or FI. It's just like you do what you want to do with your life and your journey and you define and make your own rules. Like there's no one or you shouldn't allow anyone to define it for you. Hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. So if any of our listeners want to get in contact with you, Jamila, where's the best place? Sure. So you can find me at journeytolaunch.com. You can also find me wherever you're listening to this podcast, Journey to Launch. I'm also on all social media as Journey to Launch. That's Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And I love connecting with people who listen to episodes that I've been on. Contact me, hit me up, send me a message, and let's connect. Awesome. So we'll definitely link to all those in the show notes because just in case anyone forgets what platforms you're on, hopefully they don't. But yeah, a question I like to ask is what is your number one tip to accelerate your path to financial independence? Increasing your income, which seems so basic and not really like a big secret, but really I think the fastest way is by making more money and then not just spending it or having that lifestyle creep. So whether that's getting raises and being top-notch at your current corporate job or getting a side hustle and hustling on nights and weekends, anything you can do to bring in more income will definitely help you on the journey as long as you keep your expenses reasonable. So I actually kind of want to step in a little bit there because I've heard arguments on both sides of that, like grinding in your corporate job as hard as you can, being an outperformer versus like picking up side hustles. Maybe you don't stay as late at work so you can go do Uber or you can go do all these other things. So I guess what are your thoughts on that grinding in your corporate job versus starting side hustles that make you money? Well, I think you'd have to look at the like per hour or potential upside on both cases. So if some people work at corporate jobs where they can see substantial bonuses or raises every year, which would outdo or outpay you if you were just doing Uber. And so I think it's to look at what kind of career are you in? What's the upside potential of how much more money you can make over time? And versus what is your side hustle idea? Is it kind of a finite, like you have to really trade your time for money, meaning you have to be in this Uber for this amount of time to make this amount of money? Or is it more of a an idea or a business in which it can actually exponentially grow and make money, whether that's starting a blog or creating some product that can make more money for you and it doesn't require you trading your time to make that money one-on-one. So I think it just depends on exactly what it is that you're comparing it to. So Jamila, we want to do a wild card question. This is something that you're probably not expecting. So we understand uh, if the if the answer takes a second, but... Um, Uh-oh. And if there is not an answer, you could just imagine what it would be, okay? So when you had your breakdown moment, you're in the car, you're driving home, you're realizing that, you know, you do not want to do this work anymore. Can you tell us what was the music you were jamming to? What's playing on the radio in the background as you're sobbing going down the highway? Oh, my gosh. So I definitely don't remember that. But, you know, it's funny because sometimes actually so... I did. I've had numerous breakdowns. That hasn't been the only one in my car. So I can like actually remember a more recent breakdown with my more recent pregnancy where I was just exhausted after, you know, I had my two kids who are young, being pregnant, the long commute, the full time job, and then knowing I had to go home to my kids who needed me and wanted me to have all this energy to like then work on Journey to Launch all night. I remember Drake's song, um, God's plan oh, yeah. <laughs> was playing on the radio and like the part where he says, you know, I can't do this on my own. Uh, and then, you know, someone's watching him close 
And then that whole part, I don't know, it got me all emotional because I'm like, yes, I can't do this on my own. Like, there's a reason why I'm doing this. <laughs> and I, so I remember listening to Drake's song, God's Plan with my last pregnancy and having a breakdown. Nothing more inspirational than some Drizzy. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you again so much for coming on the podcast, Jamila. We really had an awesome time talking with you. You have some great insight you gave today. Thank you guys for having me. Dang, Cody, another good episode right there. And another one that features some real estate. You know, that she snagged a pretty good deal, even though she was searching around New York City. Yeah, and it seems like a common theme, Justin. I mean, real estate is just such a powerful wealth-building tool. We're on episode eight right now. And of those eight guests, we've had Jamila, Craig, Jimmy, and Coach Carson on. That's half of the guests. So as you can see, real estate is definitely something that you should consider if you're trying to accelerate that path. Yeah, and everybody's path is obviously different towards financial independence. But even with real estate, everybody's path is different. Jamila found this really interesting property where it wasn't even built yet. I mean, it wasn't even finished, and it was in, but it was in an up-and-coming neighborhood. And so she had the foresight to think, this is a smart financial decision to make. And she did it when she was 22. And that's just such a small blip in her story. Because like during that whole time, she started the magazine with her friends. And it seems like it was quite successful, even though we didn't kind of get into it too much. Now she's doing Journey to Launch full time. And it's no wonder that she's already so successful with it. Because she's such a genuine person. And it just seems like she really wants to help out the underserved community. Yeah, that genuine word you just used. I think you get a lot of that from the reason that she does things like Journey to Launch. It was that genuine desire to get her finances straight so she could spend more time with her family. And I'm sure it's one of the most well-known parts of her story, but that where she's on the way home and she just has the breakdown in her car when she realizes she's spending all this time working and commuting and not with her family. Yeah, she's just such an inspiring woman and... Whoa! Yeah, watch out, Cody. It's the call to action. Yeah, Cody, this week's call to action is pretty straightforward to me as far as Jamila's story goes. She realized how important financial independence and her finances were because of her family, that breakdown she had on the way home, as I was mentioning. And that's what I want the call to action this week to be. Not to have a breakdown, but to sit there and figure out what are the people and places that I'm missing out on because I don't have my finances straight. Or maybe you just need motivation, even if your finances are good, to keep going. So sit down, think about who are those people and places that you're missing out on and use that as motivation to get to your goals. You know, just put on some Drake, put on whoever, whoever gets you going, whoever gets you in that financial independence mindset and just let it ride from there. <laughs> All right. Well, if you want to read about anything that we talked about in today's episode, you can get to the show notes at thefyshow.com slash journey. Also hit us up on the Facebook group at thefyshow.com slash community. Also, it's that time. It's holiday season, and it is the season of giving. So give us an awesome voicemail to respond to, and Justin and I will do our best. <laughs> so thanks again so much for listening, and if you don't want to miss that next episode, hit that subscribe button. Thanks again. See you on next week's episode of The Fi Show. Hey, real quick before you go, I just want to remind you that I have made my personal like budget and net worth tracking spreadsheet available, the very same one that I use to track my net worth from $38,000 to over $1.2 million, available for free on our website at thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet. So you can go download that today. That's thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet.